I like to say on this podcast that when a journal like The Lancet so much as breathes the words occupational therapy, we need to be paying attention. I say this somewhat jokingly, but also very seriously. The Lancet is one of the most prestigious and influential journals in the world. That's why I was not surprised to see that it published an incredibly comprehensive overview of transgender healthcare. If anyone was going to do this topic justice, it would certainly be The Lancet. I was surprised, however, to see occupational therapy so explicitly featured as a recommended service. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed by this degree of surprise, but unfortunately, I think that I personally was surprised for two reasons. The first is that in my OT school curriculum, transgender health simply was not addressed. And the second reason is that as I've been in the workforce and I've watched reimbursement for our services get tighter, I think I've fallen into the trap of narrowing my own understanding of what OT has to offer. I see this week's article as fitting into a larger trend that we have seen on the podcast. First of all, the article supports a consistent theme that occupational therapy plays a valuable role on a comprehensive care team. The article also touches on the fact that OT's focus on participating in daily life may be needed by our transgender patients. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we discuss one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And this week, we are looking at the journal article, Serving Transgender People, Clinical Care Considerations and Service Delivery Models in Transgender Health. This article comes to us from the journal The Lancet. It was published in 2016, and the article is ranked 17th on our list of the 100 most influential OT-related journal articles. Okay, like the article did, I want to start with a very brief and broad overview of the transgender population. Current estimates are that about 0.6% of the population identifies as transgender, This means that you will likely have transgender clients on your caseload at some point if you haven't already. In my tiny Nebraska town of approximately 5,000 people, it is statistically likely that 30 people in my community identify as transgender. I also want to note that the article opens just by reminding the reader that transgender people have been a part of all cultures throughout history, but that the community has become more visible in recent decades. I also want to highlight a note on language. The term transgender is used throughout this article as kind of an umbrella term to represent a broad group of individuals who identify as transgender, transsexual, as well as individuals who do not conform to strict binary gender stereotypes. In the club, I'm going to link to some resources that I found helpful in unpacking some of the language, um, as well as some OT-specific resources. But for now, let's just turn to some overarching health considerations for working with transgender clients. And then right after that, we'll look specifically at recommendations for occupational therapy. The article dives deep into clinical care considerations specifically for the transgender population. Um, So I definitely recommend that you take time to read the full article. 
but I did do my best to pull out considerations that felt particularly relevant to the OT care that we can provide. I found four health considerations, and as you hear them, I think you'll recognize them as being health conditions that, as occupational therapy professionals, we are used to helping either treat and manage these conditions or, at the very least, recognizing their signs and symptoms and referring them on to members of our healthcare team. The first consideration is that transgender patients have an increased risk of heart attack and cardiovascular issues. Transgender individuals are up to four times more likely to have a heart attack. The reason for this is largely unknown, but previous studies have suggested that the transgender population is more prone to certain cardiovascular risk factors, including smoking, depression, and poverty. The second health consideration is that transgender individuals may experience decreased occupational opportunities. Unfortunately, the acceptance of gender diversity varies drastically across the globe. This disparity is not even necessarily related to religion, economic level, or even global sub-region as one might think. For example, in Southeast Asia, countries such as Thailand, Laos, and Indonesia have a broader acceptance of gender diversity, whereas on the other hand, Malaysia is considered less accepting. And in places where the transgender community is met with less acceptance, economic opportunities are often limited to a select few roles. The third health consideration is that transgender clients experience higher rates of anxiety and depression. Certain mental health conditions such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder seem to affect transgender and non-transgender individuals equally. However, the incidence of anxiety and depression is twice as high in transgender individuals. The article does not state why, but in my supplementary reading, I did find some other research that points to the fact that the discrimination, stigma, lack of acceptance, and abuse that these individuals often face on a regular basis likely contributes to these mental health conditions. And the fourth consideration is that transgender individuals are much more likely to attempt suicide. In the time since this article was released, additional evidence has emerged with some sobering estimates of attempted suicide among the transgender community. Unfortunately, rates of attempted suicide in the transgender community may be as much as five times higher than average. So what are recommendations specific to OT care for transgender individuals? The article really focused on discussing the World Professional Association for Transgender Health Standards for Transgender Individuals. This is its own document that you can just go ahead and Google and read in its entirety. And it really sets a global standard of care for transgender patients. And then this article that we're looking at today really discusses care models for how the standard of care can be delivered. And three recommendations made by the authors of our current article stood out to me as highly relevant to OTs. The first recommendation is that transgender patients who have medical or psychiatric conditions should be given the same degree of care and access to care as non-transgender individuals. As the article states, this seems obvious, but given the historical difficulty in achieving this equality, I thought that this recommendation was important to highlight. The second recommendation is that the WPATH guidelines, which I just mentioned, require transgender individuals to complete a period of time in their gender-congruent role 
before approving certain gender-affirming surgeries. If the activities in this gender-conforming role present any difficulties, input and or consultation from an occupational therapist is recommended. Now, this is the specific mention of OT that I alluded to in the intro, and OT even got its own subheading and several paragraphs about how we can help in this manner. There is a lot to unpack in this recommendation, and I personally benefited greatly from reading the document in its entirety. But in my own summation, I would say that if an individual is having difficulty transitioning into daily activities in their preferred gender identity, an OT may provide valuable support. After all, participation and function is our expertise. And the third recommendation is that medical staff should receive training on how to adopt a practice of cultural humility combined with clinical skills. Because the vast majority of occupational therapy professionals will work with transgender patients during our career, it makes sense that education on the topic of gender diversity is warranted. From the research they presented, it looks like introducing the topic early in a medical professional's education can substantially increase comfort with transgender medicine, and that these modules can even be relatively short and still make a significant impact. So what were my takeaways for OT professionals from reading this research? As always, these are my personal takeaways. They were not explicitly mentioned in the article, and they're really just meant to get your own wheels turning about this research. I have three takeaways this week. My first is that a team approach is needed. We talk about team-based approaches all of the time in the club, so I won't belabor this point, but we know that human health is infinitely complex. And I'm pretty sure every evidence review we have looked at highlights that a team-based approach is best to serve this complexity. My second takeaway is that our long-term focus on function and participation is needed. I love that two of the main objectives of the WPATH recommendations are to allow transgender individuals to one, maximize their overall health, and two, promote psychological well-being and self-fulfillment. These should feel very much in the wheelhouse of your OT skills. And while the topics around sexual identity and gender identity can feel really complex, the reality is that our goal with patients who are transgender is simply the same as it is for all of our patients, to help them participate in life to the fullest. And my third and final takeaway is that I am just seeing an increasing gap between what OTs are reimbursed for and what is recommended by research. In the club, we have consistently had to face the reality that too often the care that is supported by research is not always paid for by insurance nor supported by policies. And the recommendations of care for transgender individuals feels like a perfect example of this disparity. I know that in my home state of Nebraska, we are fighting to have self-care reimbursed by state Medicaid. So it makes it particularly hard for me right now to imagine reimbursement for helping transgender patients with their IADLs and participating in life in their preferred gender identity, even though that is what is recommended by these global standards of care. This makes me really frustrated, but I also see this as a call to action. 
Just as we stand for what is best for our patients on an individual level, we need to collaborate as a group to advocate for the policies and insurance changes that will allow us to deliver our needed interventions for this underserved population. My hope is that you feel like listening to this podcast and being part of the OT Potential Club is part of this collaboration. Okay, that is all that I have for you this week. As a reminder, the OT Potential Podcast is an extension of the OT Potential Club. If you are an OT Potential Club member, I am eager to hear your thoughts on this research. And I hope to hear from some of you who have worked specifically with transgender clients so that you can share your knowledge with us. But to everyone who is listening, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope as always that this podcast helps you provide great care this week. Thank you.